Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? And then also put your finger there, and then we're also going to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 will be kind of our main text here later on. I believe that all of us who have an elementary understanding or knowledge of the New Testament, if you have an elementary knowledge of the New Testament, you have to come to an agreement that the New Testament church was a spirit-filled, a spirit-empowered, and a spirit-dependent church. The New Testament church was anything but ordinary. It was extraordinary. It was anything but natural. The New Testament church was supernatural. And that's what drew people to Jesus Christ. In the last days, as the coming of the Lord draws near, I believe that the type of church that Jesus is coming for, the church that he wants to build, ultimately, the church that's going to be victorious and overcome, is a spirit-empowered church. That's the type of church that Jesus is coming for, and that's the, church, the type of church that Lighthouse is going to be. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Paul says, When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but listen to this, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, or 1 verse 4, Paul says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. What was the demonstration of power that Paul was talking about? It was the work of the Holy Spirit publicly displayed through the faith and the obedience of individual members of the church. As the coming of the Lord draws near, those who are willing to be used by God are going to see God's grace and power on display more and more. The word of the Lord promises us that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That grace and power that's being displayed, how was it shown? It was shown in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, through the gifts of the Spirit. It's going to be shown in the Old Testament by the gifts of the Spirit as well. We read this two weeks ago. Paul wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking on God's behalf, that I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed about spiritual gifts. So from the scripture we just read, the first thing is we're talking about what spiritual gifts are not. The first thing that I want to point out to you is that spiritual gifts are not natural, they're supernatural. Spiritual gifts are not natural. They're not ordinary. They're supernatural. And as a church and as individuals, we need to value desperately the work of the Holy Spirit and not take it for granted. There must be a sense of awe 
as we realize that God is in the house. Anytime that the Holy Spirit moves, you see, there's a lot of people who God is in the house and they don't even know it. There's a lot of you, God was in the car on the way here. He was speaking to you and you were not aware of it. Much like Jacob. You remember Jacob? The Bible tells us that when Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau, he went to sleep. And as he's sleeping there with his head on a rock, he had a dream of a ladder descending from heaven with angels going up and down the ladder. God promises to bless him. But Jacob just kind of sits there and watches. When he wakes up the next morning, he says this. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. What a horrible shame, my friend. God in the house. God in your midst. And you aren't even aware of it. May the Holy Spirit quicken and bring our senses alive to the presence of the Holy Spirit. To God being in the house. As I said to you before, there's a lot of you, God's in the car. God comes into your bedroom at night. And he speaks to you. And oftentimes people are not even aware of it. He speaks to that person and he says, pray for this person. Take a step of faith. Help this person. Call this person. Don't go that direction. Serve in this way. He speaks to us again and again. And people begin to hold back because of doubt and fear. Many doubt, first of all, that God would actually use them. That doubt reveals itself in thoughts like, well, I'm not sure if that's me, if that's really God prompting me to do that. What if it's just me? What if I look foolish? I know that there are people who God has been speaking to you again and again and again and again and again. And you're still doubting. It's him. He's the one who comes into your room at night and speaks to you. He's the one who moves upon your heart and tells you to do things, and you're still doubting whether or not it's him or not. Friend, I want to encourage you to quit that doubting. Quit that unbelief. It hinders you from experiencing. May I say to you that the ideas are not yours. It's not your idea. It's God speaking to you. There's a logjam spiritually. Whenever God speaks to you and you don't do anything, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, And you're filled with doubt and fears of what if it's me? What if it's just my idea? You stop the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you stop the work of the Holy Spirit in someone else's. It needs to stop today. It really does. And can I tell you that? As soon as you start obeying, you watch how God starts opening things up for you. You watch how the breakthroughs start coming. And not just in your life but in the lives of other people around you. You look how it's contagious. You realize how contagious it is when one person obeys the voice of the Holy Spirit. One person listens and it inspires someone else and then the power of God's released and it just breaks through barriers and hindrances that have held people back and held communities back and held churches back because one or two people will step out and obey God. At the risk of sounding self-serving, I believe that there's people here in our church who God's have prompted on your heart to do something substantial for our building, a brighter future, so that we can bang forward. And you need to do that. I don't know who that is. I don't know how that is. When, When God prompts you to do something, you will be surprised what he does 
whenever you obey him. Step out in any area of your life. But whenever you obey him, it's incredible what happens. So here's Jacob. He's standing by and watching going by. Watching the angels of the Lord going up and down. And he's standing and he's, God says, I'm going to bless you. He's like, cool, God's going to bless me. And he's standing there watching. But he really doesn't do anything with it. The next time Jacob comes back that way, on his journey back in Genesis, I believe it's Genesis 32, Jacob has another late night encounter with the Lord. But this time, instead of just watching, Jacob wrestled with the Lord. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Can I say this to you? There's a lot of people who you've stood by on the sidelines. You've heard God say, I'm going to bless you. You've heard God say, I'm going to use you. You've heard God make promises to you. And you sit there with your arms crossed saying, wow, I didn't even know the Lord was in the house. I didn't even realize that was him. He was here and I didn't realize it. But Jacob made up his mind. Something happened in his life where the next time that opportunity came along, Jacob, whenever he sees the angel of the Lord, he determines in his heart, it's time for my blessing. It's time for me to grab a hold of the Lord. It's time for me to quit being inactive and not doing anything. And it's time for me to take a step of faith. And Jacob grabs a hold of the angel of the Lord and he wrestles with him. And morning comes and he says, let me go. And he says, he wrestled with him all night. And he said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And in that moment, he was touched by God. His identity was changed. Before, his name was Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. Before, his identity moved from a supplanter to a prince that prevails with God. I know I'm speaking to someone who sat on the sidelines long enough. You're ready to grab a hold of the Lord and tell him, Lord, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Now, here's the second thing. Spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts not? Spiritual gifts are not optional. They're necessary. Unfortunately, many people have viewed the exercise of their spiritual gifts as optional instead of a requirement. Paul told the Corinthians, now it's required of a steward that they be found faithful. Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you have heard? Now, in this context, Paul is addressing the Galatians' attempt to please God by their keeping of the law instead of through faith. God says the same thing today to those that try to do the work of the ministry. Whether you be an individual or a church that tries to do the work of the ministry and accomplish God's purposes and plans through their own wisdom, their own strength, their own power, rather than relying upon and allowing the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work through the gifts that he has endowed the church with. Some churches who love Jesus, people who love Jesus, we're not criticizing them. They say the gifts have ceased. They're not for today. Others 
while their theology says the gifts are for today, their practice says no to the gifts. Why is that? Oftentimes people, they're afraid. They're afraid that to allow the Holy Spirit to move or to allow people to operate in their gifts or to allow people to step out in those ways because they're f- afraid that they'll be embarrassed or they'll be abused or that they'll be misunderstood. I'm telling you today that God has already endowed this body of believers with everything we need to accomplish his work. Can I tell you what? We don't have to pray about it at all. He's already given this body everything we need in Christ Jesus to accomplish the purpose. We don't have to wait for somebody else to come. Well, maybe someday Jim Bob will leave his church and he'll come over to Lighthouse. Listen, we don't need that. All we got to do is stir up the gifts that God has already placed in this body. He's already put him here. He's given us everything we need. It's already here. It's already resident. It's already here. But we have to stir up the gifts that are placed here inside of us, inside of you and, and inside of me. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him... You have been enriched in every way, with all kind of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing I want to point out to you about spiritual gifts is that spiritual gifts are not competitive, they're collaborative. Romans chapter 12, we'll start at verse 4, and says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Two weeks ago, whenever I shared with you about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul gave a list of spiritual gifts. And prophesy was one of those gifts that we found from that list. But this new list that Paul gives also includes things like serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. He says, we all have different gifts and we all have different functions within the body. But together, we form a team. We form one body And each of us belongs to one another. That's going to be a key phrase I want you to keep in your mind, one another. We each belong to all the others. Or in essence, he's saying each of us are linked to or have a place with other members of the body of Christ. He encouraged the individual to use whatever gifts God has given them 
for the building up of the body, for the good of the whole, so that others can grow in Christ. But we face a challenge when it comes to gifts. Did you know that? It's funny how in the natural, gifts can cause a lot of problems. Did you know that? In the natural, gifts can cause a lot of problems, particularly in relationships, okay? If you're off by yourselves, gifts are kind of cool. When gifts are given in a group, it can cause some hassles. For instance, ladies, the wedding shower, the baby shower. You're there. Your mother-in-law gives your sister-in-law a new crib. But she got you that cheap changing table. (laughs) Not cherry wood, not real cherry wood, not handmade. You know what I mean? Your sister-in-law. Whenever gifts are given, there's this tendency for people to look and they're saying, well, wow. Because some of you, I know some of you. You go home and look them up. You get online, you're on your phone. You don't even go home, you look it up. She spent 150 bucks on her gift. That cruddy thing she gave me was 47. Huh? Whenever gifts are given, there's a tendency for people to kind of to be jealous of gifts, to be resentful of gifts that are given. What's supposed to be a blessing, I want you to hear me. What is supposed to be a blessing can arouse jealousy, competition, resentment. It's not really hurt. We always say this, I'm hurt. I'm going to tell you, that's a bunch of baloney. There's a bunch of people who say, I'm hurt. No, you're spiritually immature. You're a baby and you need to grow up. Okay? Can I get an amen? There's people who, you're always hurt. You're not hurt. You're an angry person, you're a resentful person, and you're giving the devil a foothold in your life, okay? Let's not say I'm hurt anymore, okay? But there's a lot of times that what we want to do is we want to say that. We want to say, I'm hurt. No, what happens is Satan looks for opportunities to expose things that are already in our life. As I said, what were those things? Competition, jealousy, resentment, and anger. Those Things are already there. When the gifts are used, it's just an opportunity for what's already there to be expressed. Do you see what I'm saying? If you get upset because someone else's gift promotes them a little bit or because they're seen and your gift wasn't seen or your gift wasn't appreciated as much, the problem is not with the gifts. The problem is with the spiritual maturity of the people surrounding the gifts okay that's a word of wisdom you just saw that word of wisdom operating there because we're what are we doing we're exposing the reality of things okay so the holy spirit whenever these gifts come there's that temptation for it to expose that ugly stuff in people's hearts so the answer is not to ignore spiritual gifts or never give your sister-in-law or your daughter-in-law's anything the answer or brother-in-law or whoever it is The answer is for us to grow in Christ. The exercise of spiritual gifts. Let me give you a little bit of understanding about that. The exercise of spiritual gifts is for the good of the whole body. They are to glorify God, not to glorify you. They are to make Christ known, not to make you famous. Okay? Not to make me famous. They're to make Christ known, not me be seen. Spiritual gifts are not some kind of Christian karaoke for you to be on display. Maybe you've been to like a wedding or some kind of event where they have karaoke and finally I get to sing. Finally I I get to do it and you're like, oh, good Lord. 
Let them sit down. That's not what spiritual gifts are about. It's not for you to get a chance to perform. And the reality of it is, is sometimes it's my chance to perform, but if people don't show enough appreciation for my gift, or if they recognize someone else's gifts more than mine, then I'll take my gift and go home. That's what I'll do. Or I'll just never use my gift again. I'll take my gift and leave, or someone else appreciates my gift more, or I'll just sit on it. And neither one of those things are the proper response for the use of the gifts that God has given us. I know that sounds harsh, but to be what God wants us to be, we got to grow up in some of these things. And can I tell you what? I was convicted before, but I don't want to make anybody feel bad. I was convicted in two areas of my life, two realms of my life by this message. The Holy Spirit put his finger on this area, this circle, and this circle where I need to change. I hope that I will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and and be obedient in those areas. In those areas where the Holy Spirit convicted me, can I tell you what it showed me? I'm selfish and immature. But you know what the Holy Spirit will do? He will gently prompt you, because I'm being honest. He can let somebody else call me out, expose it to other people, and it's harder to receive it that way than if he just puts it on my heart and I say, you know what, God, I'm being selfish and immature in those areas. What do I need to do? I need to grow up in those two areas of my life. The Bible says this, love must be sincere in verse 9 of Romans 12. Hate what's evil, cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Did you hear that? Love must be sincere. Love must be authentic. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians 4. When they address the topic of spiritual gifts, they're also linked to another topic. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is followed by 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts. Can anybody tell me what they call 1 Corinthians chapter 13? The what? The love chapter. Okay? Romans chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts. And it's then right afterwards, boom, love must be sincere. Cling to what is good. Hate what's evil. Ephesians 4 talks about spiritual gifts. Also connected with the topic on love. Those two topics, spiritual gifts and love, For spiritual gifts to function properly, they have to be connected with love, okay? Verse 10 there, I want to share with you some other versions of verse 10. That's the one that says, be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Because we're going to talk for just a couple minutes about these one another statements, okay? I want you to get that, one another statements. Get that in your head. These are one another. It's us to somebody else. Verse 10, other versions, one says this. Love another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in getting attention. No. And looking good. And being first. No. It says outdo one another in showing honor and elevating the other person. The next version says, love each other in a way that makes you feel close like brothers and sisters. And give each other more honor than you give yourselves. And oftentimes I'll hear people talk about church. And one of the things is, Lighthouse, you guys have done really good. I've often had people say to me that 
about church. They say, church is my family. When I need support, I feel like the church, the people at church are, are closer to me or as close to me. I've had a lot of them say that the church is my family. If I need someone to rely upon, I can count on my brother or my sister here. I can rely upon the church. I feel closer to the church than I do to my own flesh and blood brothers and sisters. And, and there is something because we have the central focus of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter where you live or how much money you have. There's something about when we come together at the foot of the cross, there's something really powerful there. When you connect with God and connect with people, you want to get close to somebody, you pray with them. You have an encounter with God at the altar with them. You work through things in life with them. And it's amazing how God unites people together and really cements them together, their relationship. These one another commands. The other one was love each other with brotherly affection and take delight in honoring each other. Have you ever been traveling on the highway whenever there is a merge? Certain people... There's people who won't let the other people go. You know what I mean? You know, you're going up. I, I, I see people pointing to their spouses and, oh, yeah, remember yesterday? You know, okay. Uh, you know. The grace of God's available to you today. So, <laughs> Those times when you're trying to merge and everybody's fighting each other. And before long, like, like they, someone gets up there and they beep the horn and they won't let them. And, and everything stops. It's amazing how neat merge lanes work whenever people kind of slow down a little bit. Let this guy go. This guy go. This guy go. It's your turn. You do move faster. In the church sometimes and in life sometimes, there's people who are striving to get up front. They won't give anybody a chance. What God wants for the church is this idea of, you know what? And this is one of the things that I said to our board years ago. My philosophy on ministry, I couldn't do it at the very beginning. Because I hadn't had enough time to build up people's trust or the ability to say that. But there came a point in our ministry here where I spoke with our board and I said this, I'm going to make you a promise. You will never, ever, as long as I'm here, you will never, ever have to question or wonder when I make a decision if I am putting the church first. I promise you, I will always, always, to the best of my ability and my understanding, I'll look out for the good of the people and the church. Now, this is what I would ask of you. I would simply ask that you would look out for me. See, if I'm looking out for me and you're looking out for you, we're going to have competition. One of the reasons why we've been able to walk in unity is because we develop this one another mentality, particularly amongst the leadership, where we say, I'm going to look out for your well-being. And I believe that. I believe that the people at Lighthouse care about me and they'll look out for me. I don't doubt that. So what an incredible thing is that if I'm always looking out for your best and you're always looking out for my best and you're always looking out for your neighbor's best and they're looking out for your best, what an incredible place to be. What an incredible atmosphere. May I suggest that works pretty good at home too. It works really good in home. It works really good in families. It works really good in a business setting because there's employees that are like, hey man, I'm gonna get as much as I can get. They're not looking out for the best of the company. They're not looking out for the best of the owner. And so what we realize is that when we have this mentality, this one another attitude, that no, I'm going to promote you. 
No, 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 pastor, you're not going to promote me. I'm going to promote you. Do you see what I'm saying? This idea, because the reality of it is that's what God's heart is for us. The scripture says this. We are to be devoted to one another in love. Two commands. Devoted to one another in love. May I suggest to you today, and I have no way of knowing this, but I'm saying the church, the church in America as a whole, I don't know how you would measure this. Well, I think I, sometimes you can see it by the way people's responses are. That I would say probably 30% of the average church person, and not at Lighthouse, but other places, are really devoted to one another in brotherly love. Let's say, now you say, Pastor, why, why would you say that? Why don't you hear about what devoted means? Devoted to one another in love means we're loyal, we're faithful, we're committed, we're constant, we're dedicated, we're caring, we're supportive, and zealous for one another. Many who attend churches in America today are anything but devoted to one another. They are selfish and self-centered. Everything is great. Everything's great. Now, Pastor, I don't believe that. Everything's great. Well, let me tell you no. Let you not get your way. Huh? Watch people when they don't get their way. Watch people when somebody says no. Watch people whenever they're inconvenienced. Oftentimes, our true colors come out in that moment. I love you, brother. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, yeah. You know, hug each other. Yeah. Man, you're great. You're awesome. Until something doesn't go the way I want it to. And then I'm questioning, huh, maybe God doesn't even want me here anymore. Hmm. That's what Satan wants to do. What he wants us to do is this idea of if any little thing can cause you to turn on your brother or sister, you're not devoted. What there needs to be in the church is there needs to be this mentality that I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. Because here's the reality. If you're going to be in church any period of time, if you're going to be married any period of time, if you're going to be in relationship with any people any period of time, if you're going to work anywhere any period of time, there are going to be times in which you get the stinky end of the stick. There's going to be times when people are rude to you. There's going to be times when your gifts are overlooked. There's going to be times when you give more than anybody else does and nobody appreciates it there's going to be times when the bottom line is our pride and our egos are hurt so it comes down what am i going to do then what am i going to do in that time well the word says this for the church to be what it's supposed to be that we make a commitment and we say i'm here i'm committed to you i'm devoted to you so you hurt my feelings oh well i'll get over it I might be mad for a while and I might pout and uh, I might be quiet or whatever you do. But you know what? When you're devoted to people, you work through those things. When you're devoted, because a better deal comes your way. In life, sometimes there's things that look like a better deal. When you're devoted, it doesn't matter because you've made a commitment in your heart. May I call you as a church? I'm not asking you to be devoted. That's not my idea. The Word of God says... You be devoted, you be committed to one another in brotherly love. The second thing is it says, so we be devoted. 
And the second thing it says, this one another, is honor one another above yourself. Make it your goal to make somebody else look good. Make it your goal to help someone else succeed. Put the needs of another person. Well, you know, you say, well, pastor, I'd like a little appreciation. That's all I want. Sometimes we almost die from lack of encouragement. Whatever it is that you have need of, the reality of it is, is when we give that to somebody else, it's incredible how God turns that back to you. So the principle, the answer is to honor one another above yourselves. What an atmosphere. I like that what that one version says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in promoting somebody else, in elevating somebody else. What an awesome atmosphere it can be when instead of fighting for recognition or place of honor, we strive to elevate and honor another person. When instead of trying to get my way, I help somebody else get theirs. Isn't that incredible? What an atmosphere that God can operate in. I'd like to call you to this. Can we be honest? If we could activate the gifts that are in this room, oh man, what God would do. If you would just listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when he tells you, hey, go pray for that person. Hey, call that person. I'm not asking you to do something that I'm telling you to do. I'm saying God created you in a specific way. And it's going to be something that you love to do. It's something that you enjoy. It's something that gives energy and life to you. So if you've been holding that back, you've been stealing. I'm sorry, but you've been stealing from the rest of the body of Christ. Somebody else is healing. They've been waiting on a healing because you've been afraid that that was you. They've been waiting on a word of encouragement. They haven't learned something because you've held back your gift. I want to say this to you. We need every single one of you. Say, Pastor, my gift isn't, my gift isn't, no, no. It's divine. Your gift is divine because God gave it to you. And it's beautiful whenever you share it. There is no gift that I've ever received that can compare, that brings joy to my heart Like whenever God uses me to touch somebody's life. I've gotten some nice things. God's been good to me. But none of them leave the lasting joy that comes and the satisfaction, the feeling of significance, the feeling of sheer delight, like knowing you did what God asked you to do and seeing it bless somebody else. It's like there's no aftertaste. There's no nothing, no heartburn. There's nothing bad about that. It's all good. Father, in Jesus' name. Sometimes, Lord, if probably a lot of us are honest, we don't feel like our gifts measure up to other people's. Sometimes we may even be embarrassed to share our gifts because we don't think they're good enough. We don't think that they mean much but they've been given to us by you so they have divine power they're heavenly they're glorious and you will use them to change the world Lord 
You'll use them to change people's lives and their hearts. And so I ask you today, Lord, first of all, we repent that we've hidden our gifts, that we've not used them, or that we've in some way refused your call in that area. And today, Lord, I for one want to be obedient in that area of gifts, Lord. And so we ask your forgiveness for us, Lord. Help us open our eyes that we can see how glorious and beautiful those gifts that you placed in us are. Next, Lord, we want to address the topic with you of our selfishness and our pride and our competition and our jealousy, our easily hurt feelings, ultimately our brokenness, Lord. Lord, we know that if you would heal our hearts and if you touch us in those places of our lives that are broken, that maybe there was abuse or there was hurt or there was a neglect in some way and, or offense in some way, if you touch those places, we won't be so sensitive. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to touch those places in our lives where we're easily angered, where we're easily wronged, where we easily take offense where it's real easy for resentment to come up. Would you forgive us and would you heal us for that, Lord? And Lord, I pray that we would make it our joy and delight to promote and to honor the people around us, to bless them, to show favor and kindness and support to them. Lord, I pray that as we do that, I pray that your church would move forward and that we would accomplish the purposes and the plans that you have for us. Lord, I pray that there would be a release of the gifts in the spirit realm. Anything that would try to hold back God's people from using their gifts, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would break down that barrier and that people would feel free that they'd feel motivated, that they'd feel confident and encouraged to step out and use what you have given them for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name. I pray, I'm gonna pray one other thing. I pray for Holy Ghost boldness. I pray for Holy Ghost confidence. I pray that your people would walk in the spirit in such a way that they say, I can hear his voice. That's God telling me to do it. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust him. So bless them and use them in a powerful and glorious way. And we'll thank you and we'll give you glory, honor, and praise for that. In Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen.